Welcome to Inside the Director's Circle and this episode on when and how to use mediation. I'm Jason Langford-Brown, your host, founder of the Director's Circle, practicing business advisor and coaching psychologist. In the last episode, we explored the power of mediation. What is it and why is it so powerful when resolving disputes? In this follow-up episode, we'll be looking at when and how to use mediation, the circumstances, when you need professional support, and hopefully discovering some practical tips for you as leaders. To help us with this and to add some expertise to the subject, we're delighted to welcome back Peter Brewer and Clark Quart Wilmot, who are one of our knowledge partners from the Director's Circle. Peter is a partner and commercial litigator at the national law firm Clark Wilmot and accredited practitioner of mediation. And very quickly, before we get into the discussion, remember this is just a snapshot of what happens within our business leader community. If you want to get more involved or access further insights, visit directors-circle.com. So Peter, welcome back. Great to have you again. Um, really enjoyed our first conversation. And I think maybe just to kick us off today, just be worth just to get a very quick summary of what mediation is and why, why it's so powerful, just for those that maybe missed the, the, the first podcast. Yeah, sure. So uh, mediation is a, um, a voluntary consensual process where the parties agree uh, to meet. Uh, they agree to appoint an independent third party mediator. Um, the mediator is specially uh, trained and qualified. Um, to try and help the parties get to a compromise position uh, where they can then reach an agreement and resolve their differences. Right, and I love some of the, 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 the some of the things we pulled out in that first podcast around how it saved a huge amount of time for business leaders, a, a big mitigation of um, of cost in legal fees, um, how it gave control over the process and created so many more possibilities for resolution. Which um, for those that haven't ever listened to the, 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 the podcast before this, I'd recommend you maybe do so before you carry on listening to this. But getting into this conversation, Peter, you know, when is the right time to to, to really pull in mediation from your perspective? I think um, the, the sooner you, you mediate, the better. And, and I think, as, as we mentioned in the first podcast, um, there are probably two key stages uh, when it's best to mediate. I think the, so. Assuming that you've engaged solicitors and there's been some correspondence between those solicitors, um, I think when that correspondence comes to its natural end, um, at that stage you're going to understand what your dispute's about, and you're also going to understand what your opponent's position is. Um, so mediating then seems to make sense. Um, another natural, obvious time to try and mediate is when, um, after you've issued proceedings, um, uh, the, what are known as the pleadings, which are the documents you lodge at court, set out your respective positions. So the particular claim, the defence, and the reply, um, and any other pleadings um, have been have been lodged at court. Uh, mediating then um, makes sense because uh, if you mediate after then, when the case sort of moves into a timetable of, of disclosure, witness statements, expert evidence, case tri- uh, trial preparation, and trial itself, um, you're then starting to incur real costs. Um, so I think I think do it as, as soon as possible. I think another thing I'd say about mediation as well um, is is um, is don't be afraid to be open and honest and 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 to say to your opponent as a part of the mediation process, um, this is precisely what we think of our position, and this is this is you know. This is, uh, uh, you know, exchange information in an open, an open way. I think that's a really important thing because then it becomes more effective. I suppose that is, that's really interesting because we did talk about that a little bit in the first podcast. But um, I, I love that point, you know, about having real clarity on where you are now and what our position really is before you start to mediate. It's hard to mediate from a position of unknowing, isn't it? Um, but that, yeah, that open and honesty, I suppose, if nothing else, you, you're going to start with a position of trust. Then. If, you, if you're prepared to be open and honest about where you really are, you're probably going to win some trust on the other side, and probably more likely to move forward in a positive way. Would that be a? Would that be a fair exactly, description? Yeah. Of that? Exactly. 
yeah, yeah. great okay okay so 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 we we that that's really useful in terms of, of when i suppose the, the big question then is you know who should be who should be doing the mediation is this something that any of us can do with a bit of guidance can we read a book you know or does it depend on the type of mediation what's what's your view on that so um I'm bound to say this really because I'm a I'm a, a qualified solicitor as well as a qualified mediator. But but you know, me, me, mediators come from all sorts of backgrounds. I would say that using someone with a, from a legal background is probably a good idea. Um, and the reason for that is that if if during the mediation someone mentions I don't know Part 18 requests or a Part 36 offer or um, uh, you know some other legal concept or procedural or litigation procedural concept, the mediator is going to know exactly what that is straight away um, because they'll have been working with those concepts in their in their legal practice for, for years. Um, so I think someone that understands, you know, those those things is I think quite important. Um, that said, don't don't restrict yourself only to appointed mediators with a legal background. You know, I know of mediators that come from business backgrounds or, or property backgrounds or whatever. Um, it very much depends upon um, what your dispute is. Assuming you've engaged solicitors to assist you with your dispute, speak to them about the kind of person that you think you could you could you could work with as a mediator. Um, a decent solicitor is going to have a whole range of different medias they've used with, over the past, uh, and 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 perhaps with varying degrees of success. Um, and it's really really important, I think, that the solicitor is able to choose for their client a mediator um, who is going to ha- well, a help their client, so get on with their client. Really, that's quite important. The rapport building bit for a mediator um, is 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 crucial, um, but also you know that the mediator is going to get on with their opponents as well and is going to be able to have constructive discussions with with with, with their opponents. Um, one of the great privileges in my mediation practice, which I don't get in my litigation practice, is that you get to see both sides of the story. Um, the mediator yeah, yeah. sits in between the parties as an impartial third party. And, and if you are able to um, get to the level where you, you get absolute trust from both parties, um, then you get let in to their world. And what I mean by that is that they will tell you anything during the process. And that's a real privilege, a real pleasure. And, and it's, it's, it's something that's very, very satisfying when you achieve it. Um, so, so, you know, I think a mediator that can crack that um, is, is really, really important. I, 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 I get that point about report. And I think you're right, but it's, it's, it was an interesting risk there for maybe business leaders or pick someone that we like and we get on with. But I think your point about you involving your solicitor because you, you need someone to give you an objective view that they'll get on with the other side as well. Because ultimately, we want to come to some kind of resolution between two parties. I thought that's a really powerful consideration because we're really good at p- picking people we like, but if they don't like the other side or they can't work with the other side, that actually isn't going to help us ultimately, is it? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, there are there are online um, uh, sort of organisations that can help you choose mediators. So, for example, as well as being a partner of Clark Walmart, I'm also a member of something called the ADR Group, which is a a membership organisation that that refers mediations out to mediators. Um, so you can you can see my profile, for example, on the ADR group. There are other organisations that do something very very similar, uh, where they have a collective of, of mediators who publish their profiles online, and and then and then the mediation house, um, rather like a barrister's chamber, they then um, uh, they then allocate work out to mediators. Um, and you know, using forums. I mean, this is why. Uh, Jason, this this forum is is so valuable for me. Um, I think people research uh, mediators on YouTube and on LinkedIn and on on platforms like that. 
and yeah, uh, sure. certainly I know mediators who are, who are extremely active on those platforms, and and people want to see what they're buying, and and so so they yeah. they uh, they use those kinds of things. One thing that's important to bear in mind, of course, is that a mediator is not appointed by one party; they're appointed by both parties, and so there has to be consensus between the parties as to who they're appointing, um, and and so for for that reason, and unfortunately for me, um, in almost every scenario. Um, if the parties agree to mediate, they'll probably um, propose anything anything between sort of three and five or six mediators, and then agree on one that they think is the best for their their particular matter. So, so you know, just because you're approached to mediate doesn't necessarily mean it's inevitable that you will mediate. Um, it, it has to be something that the parties um, uh, jointly agree to. Yeah, absolutely. It's similar, actually, in coaching. You know, you've got business leaders that want you to coach their people, but you know, they're often put you and several other in front of the people they want you to coach so that they might like you, but the people that you need to coach needs to like you as well. It needs to sort of work both ways. So yeah, I, I get that. I'm going to exactly. put you on the spot a bit, Pete. I'm going to put you on the spot a bit now, Peter, because like, you know, you are a business leader as well. You do you know, have a team of people that work for you and maybe get you to think of some of these considerations in the context of the leader. Because I think about some things you're talking about and where we have conflicts and disputes within our own businesses and with our own teams and even maybe with our clients where it isn't necessarily... Um, moving towards a legal a legal situation, but taking some of that non non judgmental uh, mediation skill set and actually putting yourself in situations where you can get parties together and and have them heard um, and get them to talk through their challenges and issues. And I know we talked about that a lot in the last podcast as well about being able to talk about how they feel. Are you are you starting to see how those skills are really useful as a business leader just within your own business? Are you starting to use those skills to that effect? I know I've put you on the spot there, but I thought I'd... yeah, I think I think. Yeah. No, no, I, th- I think the, the training the training does help you in other ways other than actually being a mediator. But if you go and do the formal mediation training, you start to try and, in any most situations, um, you start to try and find a way through them. And you try start to try and find a commercial way through them. Um, I mean, we're talking a bit about other things that have benefited me as a solicitor, having trained as a mediator, principally around the, around the way that you now prepare for mediations if you're representing a party. There's all sorts of interesting discussions in the mediation community about how deployable this process is. So can it be deployed in something other than a legal dispute? Um, Can it be deployed pre-dispute? What I mean by that is rather than going off to a solicitor um, when you're starting, so say, for example, the shareholders in the business are starting to fall out with each other. Rather than going and seeing a solicitor, do they each go and see a mediator? Um, and, And do they sit down and try and resolve um, their, their their differences um, uh, in front of a mediator before before the, the dispute goes legal. That's something that's quite common in another forum, which is family law. You know, the, the, the parties will very often go and seek counselling before they go off and seek a divorce. Um, and 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 so is there is there is there a role for mediation in a, in a commercial sphere in that way? Um, is there uh, um, um, the possibility that mediation could be used, for example, if the parties negotiating a contract? And they come across a clause that is particularly difficult to get through. Do they then appoint a mediator to help them with the contractual negotiations? Well, maybe. So there's lots of other scopes that mediation can be deployed into. And I think even now, um, mediators in the market are trying to work out what other things we could do other than just simply mediating yeah. legal disputes. Yeah, absolutely. I think those different, like you say, different granularities of what a mediator can do in different contexts, I think are really powerful. I, I mean, for me, I, I think... I'm wondering, you know, I think for me, mediation would be a really useful skill for for many leaders to have in their own toolbox. And I don't think, I don't mean to the extent that you have it 
where you do it as a profession. But you know, are there ways that business leaders can kind of go out and find some of those mediation skills, and you know, so they can add them to their toolbox? You know, what could they be doing other than you know, not going to say not training like you did, but you know, what, what information is out there? What where where could they go and access some of this information so they can kind of add mediation at a fairly basic level to their toolbox? Well, there's nothing stopping people going and doing the doing the qualification. Um, so there are providers like um, Centre for Effective Dispute Resolution, APR Group, uh, the Linda School of Mediation, which is who I trained and qualified okay. with. Um, those or, those organisations offer training courses, and uh, and so there's nothing stopping someone as a business leader who's got no intention of actually practising as a mediator going and doing the course anyway because it teaches you the ability to discuss things with people, how to get the most out of people, how to get people to a position of compromise, and how to get people um, to, uh, for want of a better phrase, to lift the scales from their eyes, to, to, to get them to understand in a deeper way their, their own position. So I think, you know, any qualification is is, uh, is a good thing. Um, and I think the mediation qualification helps you, even if you never actually have any intention of going off and developing a mediation practice. Which, despite the fact that I mentioned in the first um, in the first uh, session that we had, um, uh, the fact that there's there's more mediation work around, and the courts are very keen to push cases into mediation through a variety of devices, including um, punishing uh, parties with adverse cost orders if they don't mediate, or if they don't if they don't if they unreasonably refuse to mediate. Um, yeah. It is a very competitive market to become a mediator. Um, there's far more qualified mediators than there are practicing mediators. Um, and and so, you know, uh, you, you have to sort of, if you are going to qualify as a mediator, you have, you have to understand that, I think. Yeah, I, I, it's really because I see lots of similarities between um, the coaching skill set and the mediation skill set. Um, and we, you know, we teach a lot of leaders in my day job, you know, the art of coaching as a way to more effectively performance manage their people, support their people, give feedback, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, th- I think the, the challenge I think for me is, is that some people that are very analytical, they struggle with the language and the context of coaching. And actually, when I listen to you speak and I'm thinking there are people that I, that I work with that are much more analytical um, that actually maybe would prefer the language of mediation to the language of coaching. Although I think they do very similar things and get you to a very similar outcome. So I think that's just really <clears> interesting <throat> as, a, as a slightly different kind of, um thought process okay I'll, I'll bring you back on track i just wanted to take you down that rabbit hole for a second because i think that is useful um so why we've got you on the, on the podcast to get your your input into that but i suppose back to mediation you know, wh- where should we be doing it where's where 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 should mediation be happening well i mean the, the, the simple answer to that question is anywhere um it doesn't really matter that said um there is um probably a leaning towards a neutral venue i think um so do you how do you mediate in um your opponent's office or your opponent's distant office. Some people might find that a little bit uncomfortable. I think the, the the old the bad old days of the you know the, in the 1990s where if you turned up to a settlement meeting they'd have left the heating on in the room or they'd have turned the heating off. Um, I do you recall that famous uh, the bit in the Wolf of Wall Street where they've um, they've turned the air conditioning down yeah. for tax inspectors and they have to sit in the, in the meeting room with their coats on. All that kind of I do thing, remember yeah. uh, doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, and all that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. Um, you know, um, and if, 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 if your opponent exactly, um, if if your opponents are represented by a half decent law firm, for example, you can expect probably a decent welcome in their offices. But I mean, for example, if you appointed me as a mediator. Um, as a part of my package, I can offer Clark Wilmot facilities um, as a neutral venue. So I can offer one of, one of my firm's offices um, as the venue. Um, there is also an excellent place in London, um, uh, just off St Paul's, which is a custom-made 
uh, centre for um, dispute resolution. Uh, it's got um, okay. uh, facilities for mediation. It's got facilities for um, arbitration as well. Um, uh, it's got catering facilities. And actually, this is going to sound really flippant, but catering facilities are really, really important because people that aren't well refreshed and relaxed and well fed will make bad decisions. So it's really, really important that you have tea, coffee, water, um, uh, sandwiches, you know, biscuits, all those things, and Heard access to, to, to toilet facilities. All those things are really, really important. So wherever you mediate, um, verify that the venue has got those facilities um, uh, because you will need them in the course of the day to, just to remain comfortable. Yeah, and mediation, mediation. Could last, uh, it could last for 12 or 15 hours. Um, so, so you need to make sure that everyone is refreshed during the course of that process. I was, yeah, you, you said exactly what I was about to say is that I, from experience, I know mediation can take a long time. And I've got, uh, well, my, even myself, but friends that have done conflict resolution. And one of the things, you know, that often depends on the situation, but often, you know, some situations can be we have, the start point is, is we're not leaving here till we've got, until we resolve this. So, you know, you could be, you can be there for a long, long time. So I think that, that that's, that's, that's really important. Yeah. Okay. Because such, I think just, I mean, I mean, there's, there's, was, there's, certainly, there's certainly examples of, um, sorry, there's certainly examples of, um, of mediation that have lasted longer than this, but my my personal record is uh, 9.30 in the morning till 5 to 12 at night. Um, wow. uh, and, and the thing is, of course, with mediations is that, is that there's no real break. Um, so some some mediators um, uh, like to have a sort of a slowing down period over lunch. So once once the sandwiches are in the rooms of the parties, they'll probably leave the, the parties alone a little bit. Um, uh, but you're, you're, on, you're on the go for the entire day. And, and so if you're mediating for as long as that, you know, uh, um, what, a 15, 16 hour period, that is tiring. And, and like I say, tired people make bad decisions. So again, another another sort of idea is to try and get the mediation done um, within a reasonable time frame and not let it overrun too much because uh, because you don't want, you don't want tired parties. No, but even if you're there for eight hours, nine to five, it's still a, it's still a long day, isn't it? That- you know, you need people need well, what exactly. they need. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Peter, just I, I know again, you and I have spoken about this offline, but there is, you know, very much a process to mediation. I think it would be useful, I think, to understand how mediation works. Are there some key process steps? I think I always think they're useful for business leaders to understand. Yeah. If only when they meet a mediator, they can maybe ratify that the mediator knows what they're talking about. Could you kind of just talk us through that? Yeah, sure. So, I'll, t- I'll take you through the whole process uh, from, okay. from beginning to end. Um, so um, you decide to mediate, uh, assuming you've got sisters uh, already instructed, um, they will, as I mentioned earlier, um, identify uh, between them and their opponents um, a mediator and they'll jointly appoint them. Um, the mediator will then set a timetable for certain things to happen before the mediation. And those normally are the agreement of a mediation bundle. Um, now, the uh, mediation bundle is the core papers, the core documents that summarise the dispute. Um, probably some correspondence, almost certainly some pleadings, probably a good idea to put some offers in there as well if, that, if offers have been made. Don't put in other things. So there's no need, for, for example, for the mediator to see loads of evidence because the mediator is not there to make a judgment or come to a conclusion. They're just there to help the parties come to a settlement. So they, they don't need to, you know, no, no mediator um, uh, reviews the papers to try and form a view as to who's right and who's wrong. Um, I can talk a little bit about that in a minute, actually. It's quite a challenge if you've spent 20 years as a solicitor doing precisely that, to then disengage your brain as a mediator to not do that. Um, uh, as well as the bundle, um, it's, it's, it's common for the parties to prepare position papers. 
And those position papers can take a series of forms. Um, they can be a joint paper where the parties agree a joint statement, which tends to be pretty sort of um, vanilla, just a summary as to what the case is and what the dispute's about, who the parties are. Um, they might also do a position statement. Um, those position statements have to be very carefully crafted because you don't want them simply to be a rehash of what's in the correspondence and the pleadings because that's pointless. And some parties actually go one step further and send a position paper that's confidential to the mediator only and says, this is what we want. This is what we want to achieve. Okay. Um, uh, they're, they're, they're a little bit less common, um, but they're incredibly helpful for the mediator, as you can imagine, because the mediator can get an understanding as to what the party wants to actually achieve from the mediation itself. Um, most decent mediators, uh, of which obviously I include myself, um, would, would probably um, would probably want to have a chat with the, with the parties on a Teams call or something similar um, before the mediation day itself, just to introduce themselves, um, just to demonstrate that they are nice people um, and that they've also read the papers and understand what the dispute's about. I can mention a bit, Jason, if you want to, about, about what I do when I'm reading the papers as a mediator. So sure. when I read the papers... Uh, when I read the papers as a solicitor, um, I'm trying to look for the legal angle. I'm trying to look for the solution that I can I can help my client achieve, uh, and I'm therefore trying to make a, a judgment as to who is right and who is wrong, who's got the strongest case, who's going to win at trial. Now, as a mediator, where where impartiality is absolutely critical, those kind of judgment calls are not only wrong; they're probably also deeply inappropriate. Um, so when I when I receive a mediation bundle from from parties who want me to act as their mediator, um, I what I call read it with my brain turned off. So um, what I'm doing when I read the mediation bundle is I'm trying to understand who the parties are, what the dispute's about, and probably um, if there's a monetary value to the dispute, what that monetary value is. Okay. So long as I've got those three things covered, then I don't really need to go much further into the preparation. And actually bearing in mind my 20 odd years experience as a solicitor it's dangerous for me to do so because then i start to think well this person's going to win a trial this person's got a good point this but and and you don't want to you, you really must not do that you you must make sure that if you turn up as a mediator you're not partial in any way at all um the day of the mediation then um uh, the parties will turn up uh, in the morning um probably around about half past nine the mediator will come and see the parties individually and just, just to make sure they're comfortable, make sure they've got refreshments, make sure that um, that everyone's there that needs to be there. And that's a critical thing as well, making sure that the right people are there in terms of people that have authority. Um, there's nothing that irritates a mediator more than to get to set to, to a period in, later on in the day where the, the gap's narrowing and a settlement's now possible to discover that actually someone else needs to be con consulted to get final authority. So always make sure that the, the, the right people in the room in terms of level of authority um, and, the, and the, 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 that uh, therefore a deal is possible. Um, probably around about 10 o'clock, you'll then start with the opening session. That typically is a roundtable meeting chaired by the mediator um, where the parties have an opportunity to say something. Now, um, as I think I mentioned in the first podcast, um, it can be anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be constrained to a presentation about who's right and who's wrong legally. It could be about how the parties feel about the dispute. It could even be about what they're trying to get out of the mediation process. Importantly, absolute Chatham House rules apply to mediation, so the, the process is both confidential um, and the parties will sign a confidentiality agreement before they start the process. 
and it's also without prejudice, so it can't be referred to in the legal proceedings. So it's, it's an open okay. forum where they can say whatever they want. Um, in that um, opening session, have a think about um, about who does the presentation. Um, it's natural to want the lawyers to do it um, because they're they're the advocates. They're the ones who'd be presenting the case at court. Um, I've seen some exceptional presentations by lawyers, um, really good, really well thought out, really strong. And I've also seen some appalling ones. And the worst ones are the ones where the lawyer tries to advocate their client's position. Because all that does is it gets the backstop of the person they're presenting to because they think, well, yeah. why are we here if we're going to have an argument? That's not what this process is about. Um, and also just simply a rehash of what's been said already in correspondence. So in other words, it's totally pointless. Um, so, so I, I think I think that um, uh, you know, think carefully about who presents, and also don't let someone present if you've not agreed who's presenting. So, don't let someone just go off on a on a tangent of their own. Make sure that everyone knows who's doing what, who's saying what, and when they're going to say it. Um, the mediator will also talk a bit about the process, a bit about their role, the fact they're impartial, the fact that they are appointed by the parties and therefore act for the parties, the fact they're not there to give advice, they're not there to form a judgment, and they're there simply to try and help the party through the process. Um, and then once the closed session, sorry, once the opening session has finished, the parties will then move into what's closed session. And closed session is where the parties go to their separate rooms and the mediator then shuffles between the, the rooms okay. um, to try and narrow their positions, and eventually, one would hope, uh, uh, transmit some offers. Now, um, if the opening session finishes at 11 o'clock-ish, typically, you would want the argument uh, to be finished by lunchtime. Um, okay. After lunch, uh, you, would then, you would then want to be starting to look at offers, structuring offers, and then by sort of five, six o'clock in the evening, you would hope typically to be in a position where the by the parties were then negotiating heads of terms with a view to actually having a document they can sign. Now, most mediators, um, and I would include myself in this, if there's a settlement, you want a binding document at the end of it. So you want a settlement agreement that the parties sign up to. And the reason for that is you don't want parties to walk away from a mediation and then have buyer's remorse. And, and suddenly think, actually, that was a terrible settlement. I don't want to go through with it. Um, uh, you know, you want them to have signed something. Um, now, most parties at a mediation, not all, but most, will be legally represented. And so they'll have advice as to what the settlement agreement means and what the what the outcome of the settlement is going to be. Um, uh, um, but I think the mediator wants, wants a contractual commitment from the parties to each other um, to a settlement to make sure that settlement is entirely binding. Um, the process itself, as I, as I say, is voluntary. So actually, there's nothing stopping you leaving at any time if you want to. Um, but I think if you are going to leave, um, you have to make sure that you've communicated your intention to leave to the mediators. They know what's going to, what's going to happen and didn't come as a, a nasty surprise. And it also has to be on the basis that you've exhausted everything. You've tried everything and it's not worked. Um, to leave too soon, too soon in the context of the process, not too soon in the context of the day, um, yeah. is, I think, um, extremely unwise. So I hope that's a sort of a, a brief yeah. through the process that's covered off, um, covered off what you'd expect if you ended up in a mediation. No, I think that was a really good overview of the process in the short time we've got, but also some really good tips within it as well that um, 
I'm sure people will, will find really, really useful when they listen to this. Look, we, Peter, we're out of time, unfortunately, but there's, again, so much really good insight there and some great tips for people. That, uh, so I really, really do appreciate your time. I'm not going to try and summarize that because there's too much good stuff in there. I'll let people you know, pick, pick their own um, highlights from that. But I think maybe just for you to finish, maybe give us three three top tips on when and how to use mediation for you. And could you maybe use maybe make one of them a a non almost a non-mediation one maybe as a business leader in terms of a top tip for mediation in business and then another two professionally um well i think you know um it's an effective process um it, you know it, it is it is a process that does does generally speaking lead to a resolution and, and therefore avoids the cost and time uh, of trial um i think um you have control, so that that's a really, really important uh, part of the process. You're, you 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 dictate the outcome. Obviously, the, the outcome is also dictated by how reasonable the counterparty, the, the your opponent, is in the process. Um, and I think, as I mentioned in the, in the first session, um, it buys back time uh, for you as a business leader. So so you're not then committed to a dispute that's going to take up a huge amount of management time going forward. It enables you to do what's important, which is to focus and concentrate on your own business. Yeah, thanks, Peter. I think, you know, I think that I took from that, you know, there's a process. So I think, you know, there's clearly so many benefits to, to doing mediation. I think in my head, I'm just saying, just do it and trust the process. There's clearly a, a, a hundred reasons that we've explored why people should do that. Peter, thank you again for joining us over these last times. It's been really, really useful. If In our next episode, we're going to have a bit of a segue. We're going to look into the cyber world. We're joined by a couple of guests that are going to talk to us about, you know, in the context of being a leader, what we need to be watching out for in this cyber world. What are the risks for us, really? I think some interesting um, conversations as well about as we sort of adopt AI and chatbots, what we need to be thinking about before we really start to integrate it into our business. So that's going to be an interesting subject. But in the meantime, any, anything else you need to know on mediation, feel free to reach out to us at directors-surf com and peter's always available at park wilmart and i'm sure you can find him through linkedin but in the meantime thank you for listening to inside the director's circle mm-hmm.